Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Gianna Whitfer. Maria Velasquez here. And we are so excited to have our, as we teased in our social media promotion, esteemed and lauded Shlomi Ashkenazi. He is head of brand at Cybellum. And Shlomi, we're so excited to have you on. Yeah, I'm so excited as well. What is branding? How do you explain what it means to folks? So I can tell you what it's not. It's not just a logo for people out there who think that it's just a logo. <laughs> There's too many like that that, that that think that branding is basically just the design and the graphics. I think eventually the, the, the way I see it, the brand is the core narrative and the story that you want to tell. And everything that comes out of that is basically an extension of that. So it can be, you know, the visuals, the content, whatever, the videos you create and uh, the way that, again, the CEO or, or the, the founders tell the company story. So it's basically just figuring out what your narrative is in front of the market. And that's the brand. And then it's a matter of execution of how you execute it and how you measure it, et cetera. Well, how do you measure brand? Well, when you figure out, please let your me know. Eyebrows went up. You were like, oh my God, this woman. <laughs> yeah, please let me know when you figure out. <laughs> I think it's much easier for like B2C companies because, you know, they can do surveys, they can get all the yeah. data, they have tons of customers, like but Coke? for us. Do you like yeah. Coca Cola? Exactly. Do you like, the, how does it make you feel? Happy? You know, like whatever, right? Well, yeah, so, because, exactly. well that's, that's brand sentiment, right? But then what about brand growth? How do you know more people know about who you are and what you do versus how they feel about you? And I, and I feel like those two are important together. You know, when it comes to building pipeline and my demand gen hat is on, I want to know, okay, what's brand going to bring into, into inbound for me? Yeah. I think there's no way around it. And, and you just need to ask your customers at specific points in time, the key questions, and then figuring out how the perception grows over time. So, you know, just the, the simple questions like, uh, do you know us? Uh, what do you think about us? What is the company? What does it do? These kinds of things. If you do like quarterly surveys or something like that with customers, that's usually how you understand whether you're in the brand awareness phase where people just need to know your name or you're in the perception phase where people already know something about you. That's one thing. And then following what you said, Maria, I think you can tell a lot by the touch points that you have with customers about the brand. So I think a combination of website and the engagement with the website and social and engagement there and what kind of things people tell you. And also, by the way, sales calls. How do sales calls start? What do people say at the beginning of sales calls? If you use something like Gong or something like that, just hearing the beginning of sales calls could tell you a lot about the brand. Like, hey, I heard about you guys in this podcast or uh, I someone told me you have a really cool uh, solution for X. Versus, by the way, who, who are you guys? So tell me what, what are you doing? So this <laughs> How'd you get on my things. calendar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, why are you wasting my time today? Need to head out. That's so funny. That's an interesting thing. Train your sales folks to ask that question too at the beginning, right? Because some of them won't. 
they don't know it intuitively to ask like, how did you hear about us? But if you, if everyone asks that and you can get, gather that data, I guess, would you say the thing that you want to hear is, huh? I don't know. Yeah, I really? guess. I mean, I, I just pulled that out of my butt. I just like, not a smart, I was just like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lovely, just lovely. <laughs> hey, it's, it's early. It's 9am here. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's the fun of talking to two people uh, early in the morning. Uh, with the first <laughs> so fresh. <laughs> if we're comparing this to a consumer brand, I don't know when I learned about Coke or like what it means. I don't know when I learned about Dell or Apple or, you know, so when it would we want to become with what we're trying to do in B2B, I know we're have a, you know, a TAM and a target audience and ICPs, and it's not like we're not selling soda to the world. But if you were querying people, would you want them to say, in order to know that you have proliferated beyond just like, hey, we did brand awareness trade show, we did brand awareness, these seven podcasts, whatever this year, for people to say, huh, I don't actually know where I heard about you, but I reached out anyway. Does that mean that you're successfully brand aware? Like, is that what we want to reach? So it's a very good question. I'm not sure I have the answer, to be honest. I think eventually, if you have a good brand, you start having this momentum that you sort of feel it's hard to measure it because it's a combination of what you do and what the salespeople do and what the legion person does. So it's really hard to measure. This is why I try to lean more towards what they think about us and less how did they hear about us, you know, because that's where I, I have a little bit of control. Do they think we're just another whatever network security tool or have they heard about our category and our new approach and what we bring to the table? That sort of thing would make me happy if, if they already know something about that. Okay, that makes sense. That's great. You in in the scoping call there, you know, you were able to tie brand to a venture capital investment, which is really cool. Can you tell us that story? Talk about ROI on a whole ROI. other <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I think I talked about it mostly in the context of finding your story, because Obviously, if you're a well-known brand, then the brand becomes an asset and your valuation goes up and things like that. But if you're talking about early stage startups, you don't really have a brand, but you could figure out is a really, really good story to go and tell investors. And it's somewhat different than the customer story because the customer story is much more about, okay, what's my value right now? And obviously, investors are interested more in the five-year longer term thing. But I think... If you look at it from the same perspective and try to understand, okay, what's, forget about the, my value right now. What's the movement I'm trying to make? Like, what is the shift I'm trying to do in the market? How will the market look different in five uh, years following what I'm doing? These kinds of stories that you can build, and again, you can build them in the same scientific uh, way that I, that I mentioned before, are really, really helpful when it comes to, to investors. And if you can combine the two and you can say, here's my story today, but Here's what I plan to do in five years. I'm going to have a whole new niche form for our company about this or that. So investors love that stuff. And I think that's, that's how you can tie the brand to, to investors and VCs. That's pretty awesome. It's basically promising, right? Something really cool and, and betting on it actually working. And if it's convincing enough, then yeah, then you're, then you're rich and you can actually go and try it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Investors are not that. <laughs> I know it's that not naive. that easy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
they will they will need the proof and everything else. But yeah, I do think it's 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 connected to the vision eventually. And by the way, what, what we found is that it's also really, really helpful with recruiting employees. So if you figure out that story, it should help you with recruiting your first employees when you're only two people and a dog, uh, <laughs> but also like getting investment. So it's pretty great. You've worked with some really, really cool brands, you know, not just Cybellum, which is a super cool brand in itself, but some other really awesome brands. Can you talk or share some of the companies that you've worked with? Sure. Yeah. So I, I was lucky enough to join uh, Atreo, which is a company I was I was with before in, in a very good time. So I worked with really, really cool companies, as you said. So I happen to work with Gong and JFrog, a lot of uh, newer cybersecurity companies like Tiro, for example, and Axis Security and Bionic and others uh, not from cyber, like uh, SimilarWeb and some other Israeli, mostly Israeli companies. So yeah, it's been very exciting. But Slomi, I, you you say that you've been lucky to land at some pretty cool companies, but I think there's a little bit of science there. And I'm pretty sure you have a formula in which you figure out, okay, this is going to be a, a cool place to work at, or I can take this brand to a really cool place and I'm going to have support and I'm going to work with really awesome people. What are some of those things in your intuition that help you make that decision? Oh, wow. Great question. So it's funny you meant, you, you describe it like that because I always look at branding as almost like an engineering discipline, you know, as if you're building a product. A lot of the companies we worked with, that's exactly what we did. We tried to figure out what's the process of doing it almost scientifically. And I would say it's actually having as little intuition as possible and, and more so relate, more so try to connect or depend more on the customer feedback. So we spend like a ridiculous amount of time talking to customers and investors before we even write something or try to think of a positioning or a concept. Another thing I think that's important is that we sit down, usually we sit down with the founders for at least eight hours to figure out how they see things and then combine the two. So we're not only reliant on what the founders tell us, which, you know, obviously they have like expert bias, but we also combine it with what the customers are saying about them. And I think that's where the magic happens. Love that. Awesome. So... This has been hit on again and again and again on this podcast, in our society. It's a common sentiment and complaint and just fact about the market that we're in. And that is cybersecurity is really, really crowded, right? It is a crowded market. There's lots of VC-backed companies. There's tons of categories of cybersecurity in general. So Shlomi, what can people do? And this is like, this is like basically give us the answer to everything. <laughs> but how does one stand out in such a crowded market? Like, would you assess that it is this crowded? And how from a brand perspective or from a messaging perspective, how do we stand out? Help us. A million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> it is, right? <laughs> yeah, no easy answer, unfortunately. You're absolutely right. It's probably one of the most crowded market, if not the most crowded markets. And also, not only that, but the technology is usually very complicated. So finding a niche to, to focus on and to message around is, is really, really difficult. So I would say probably the first thing to do always is, is try to simplify things as much as possible, which is 
probably the first challenge when you join a company, right? Because everyone wants to say everything and talk about all of the benefits of the product, all the values and the blah, blah, blah. So the more you can simplify it, almost like to a kid level of trying to describe what it is you do, the better. So even if you don't find this magic new category, at least you are in a much quicker way, people can understand what you do. And the second thing I would say is try to find a niche and, and really bet on it because trying to pick a few categories or I would say niches at the same time and shooting in all directions wouldn't really lead you anywhere when it comes to, to the brand because it will sound like everyone else. But if you find one niche and you at least try it for a year or two and see how that sticks, you know, and how analysts accept it and how the market accepts it, it's probably a much, much better bet and, and, and will allow you also to be much clearer in front of customers. You know, we, we do that. We only do that. And then let us tell you about the other things we do. So I think that's, that's where I would start probably. <laughs> I love that you mentioned balance when it comes to either creating a new category or wiggling yourself into an existing one, because I think that sometimes is detrimental for some companies where you truly believe and there's so much bias that, you know what, we have enough MVP to create our own category, drink the Kool-Aid. And you spend so much time in that when there is really no room for a new category or the other way, right? Try to wiggle yourself into the wrong category and, and find out too late. So that balance is key. Absolutely. It's, and it's a huge investment to start a new category. It's oftentimes worth it. But, you know, if there's already a really good category out there that you can easily latch onto, why not? I mean, you can stand out in other ways. And also... I always give the example of Snowflake because I loved what they did. They, they basically didn't choose one category. So they went with one category for their customers. They called themselves the data cloud. And then a completely different category in front of analysts, which is something long and forgettable, like data management solutions for analytics or something like that. <laughs> but they really pulled it off because they managed to become like a magic quadrant leader and they go to like the cloud data platform for, for their customers. So these kinds of interesting plays are, all, are always also possible. What are some other plays that have worked or haven't worked that you've seen? Or you've done. Or, yeah, or, or you've done. To open that. That's actually <laughs> what I want. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> okay. Haven't worked? Wow. Tons. Tons of them. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, as much as we want to think it's science, it's really a shot in the dark and you need to test it. And oftentimes after a few months, you figure out, okay, that was completely wrong. <laughs> Let's go the other way. And that's fine. I mean, as long as you're agile and you can afford to do it, it's fine. Maybe I can give actually one example, not from cybersecurity, which I, I like. I worked with a company actually based out of Colorado that their product is basically kind of like a competitor to these products who do heat maps on like websites, you know, these, they're really useful in marketing. They had a really, really good product and the product could do a lot of stuff, but they were kind of stuck in this niche website experience and they tried to sell to marketers, marketeers, and there are a lot of other competitors and stuff like that. And when we started talking to, to their customers, we realized that actually the people who use the most are not the marketeers, but the product people. They use it to make the products better. And they also almost told us, they also told us that it's almost like a, an extension to DevOps 
in a way that it, it allows them to perfect the product after it's released. So that was really cool for us to hear. And then we started to think how we can brand around that. And eventually we, together with them, we, we changed the category completely to something we called continuous product design and tried to tell that story that it's, it's sort of like an extension to DevOps. And it really worked. Like it worked amazingly. And they also managed to go to investors with it and convince them that it's a much bigger market than they originally thought and get like a huge Series B. And their CEO was amazing in pushing the, this category basically everywhere. So this is a great example of, you know, being agile and trying to find something a little bit different than what you thought you were doing and, and then realigning everything around it. So you're saying an active and engaged and enthusiastic CEO is that secret sauce in the success of a brand or, or it's on the other side of the spectrum, right? It's failure if it's the opposite. Tell us about how important it is to have a CEO like that. Oh man, probably the most important thing, really. <laughs> you probably know, you know, even better than me because so you worked in, in a few companies. I was a consultant for a long time and it's now I'm working at the company for the first time. But I've seen so many amazing marketers that couldn't really do anything because the CEO either didn't get marketing or got marketing but didn't give them the leeway they, they needed. So... A CEO is really detrimental, especially if you're talking about a brand, because he or she is the brand. Like, no matter what you think about it, you know, we, we can do a lot of cool stuff with the brand ourselves and with the marketing team. But the CEO is the person who's going out there and needs to tell the story over and over again. He needs to align all the company around the mission. And, and they, need to, they need to really tell the right story. I think either work with a CEO who doesn't get marketing, but knows that they don't get marketing, you know, or with a CEO that, that really gets it. But don't pick the ones <laughs> who don't get marketing, but think they do. That's, that's the worst type. <laughs> <laughs> love that. I love that you said, you said it the best, right? The, the CEO is not important for brand. The CEO is the brand. And that is so cool to put it that way. Yeah, I really believe that. Hey everyone, before we get started, we want to remind you that tickets to the hottest conference in cybersecurity marketing, Cyber Marketing Con 2023, are now live. Grab yours and get early bird pricing. Group discounts are also available. Just hit us up at conference at cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com for more info. And if you want to learn more about the event, you can visit cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com forward slash conference 2023. You said at the beginning of this episode, you have to believe in your brand and your story and try it for like a year, two years, like put effort in, right? But you also want to do tests and iterate, give a couple months of test and then, oh, let's update. Can you explain how or what is the defining line in between? We're going to try this for a year, right? Versus this is a test and we're only going to do it for a few months. And like, what are some of these tests people can do to test brand or to test your story or your message quickly so that you can move quickly and respond to what customers actually need? Right. So I think since, since a brand lives really up in the funnel, you have a lot of leeway after the first impression. So if you figure out, for example, okay, here is my category, here is my positioning, I'm going to be, for example... The simplest to use a network security tool, and that's my positioning. I think you have a lot of 
flexibility in what else you say. For example, how is it that you are the simplest? Is it because of automation or is it because you have the team, the expertise, uh, blah, blah, blah. So I think in that level of the messaging, you can really do a lot of A-B testing, even through simple, you know, landing pages or, or just discussions with customers or guiding the salespeople to try and say this or try and say that and see the results. So you can really fine tune the brand. But I think the main story or the main positioning is something you should really stick to for a while to see if it works. Because it takes time. It takes time to create that momentum and go to events and tell the story and try it online and try it with an analyst and, and see if it sticks. You know, and if it doesn't work, worst case, you invested all of this. So now people know your name, but maybe your story is not the right story. Fine. In a year, two years from now, change the story. But at least you're a well-known name, you know, and brand now, which is also good. So how do you know if it's not working besides your company fails and you go under? When the sales team, when the sales team starts complaining, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Maria's got it. <laughs> yeah, you, you said it. <laughs> Nothing more to add. Besides the fact the sales team, you know, usually complain in the beginning when you come up with a new story because they want to tell the story in the way that they've been telling them telling it, and and you know, you know how it is, <laughs> changing salespeople's minds. But if really after a while and after trying it, they figure out it doesn't work, the CEO figures out it doesn't work, then there's no way around it. You, you, you need to find a different direction. Sometimes, by the way, and it happened, you might really, really believe in a story, but the entire team just couldn't buy it over time. Then also, you, you'll probably need to change it because it, it won't work. Even if, it's, if you think it's the perfect story, but you don't have partners to communicate it to the market with, You'll need to change it. That's true. You feel it. You feel it. If it's not working, you feel it. If it's working, you also feel it. I think it's like a feeling. What about budget? How much, now that you're sort of spearheading brand, how much percentage of the marketing budget do you get for testing messaging, for brand awareness plays, whether it's digital or at events, if you're able to share? Otherwise, what do you think should be that percentage breakdown <laughs> that goes to brand? I'm lucky again because I, I work at a company that really get branding from you know the CEO level to the CMO, and and that was actually a goal of ours to change the perception of the market about us. So it's kind of why they brought me and why we have a budget for it. I would say, first of all, you can do quite a lot with not a lot of money, <laughs> like. I, I was really wary of spending money when I started working here because, uh, I, again, I came from consulting and there we didn't have budget for anything. Like, so we needed to do everything ourselves. And that was my attitude. If I need, even if I need to edit a video, I just taught myself how to do it because I, I, I was uh, afraid of, of using a budget. But having said that, I think if you are in a place where you want your company to become a known brand and to raise awareness and stuff like that, in the first two or three years, it's probably at least 30 to 40% of your budget should go to things that are, I would say, brand awareness related. And events are it's both brand awareness and legion, depending on which events you go to. So there are things that are obviously both. But if you're talking about creating a new branding uh, and, and the visuals around it, the website around it, the assets around it, and the, the campaigns, it costs a lot if you want to do a big bang. Wow. 30, 40%. Wow. That Again, is... at the beginning. 
yeah, no, no. And I mean, I you see me, I'm nodding, smiling because that's love to hear that. That's amazing. Are you shocked, Gianna? You're quiet. <laughs> I am shocked. And also I quit drinking coffee. <laughs> so I'm like, that's like right. not what thinking. What are like, you thinking? Like, I don't. That's like <sighs> taking. That? That's like taking the the thirty forty percent brand awareness budget completely away, taking coffee <laughs> away from your brain. <laughs> well, I told you, Maria. I was starting to get two coffees from the coffee shop, which is yeah. very not great. At the and, same time, uh, yeah. Like oh wow, yeah. <laughs> Love you're like, that's... which is reaching addiction territory. So I'm like, all right. Got to calm down here. Okay, so <laughs> the brand of brand, right? We talk about the brand of the marketing team internally on this show. We've talked about that before and the importance of that. But the branding internally of brand activities, for those of us who aren't working, because we have many listeners and they're at all sorts of different sizes and, and stages of companies. For those of us who aren't a company where we have all this resources dedicated to brand or maybe leadership has a little bit of a negative view because they're just like, get leads, get leads, get leads with our budget, our marketing spend. What are some ways that people can sell brand or advocate for brand internally? What are some things you could say? Or how would you approach this? You guys have really, really good questions. We're tough. We're mean. <laughs> you are. <laughs> you know your stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's a really, really good one. Since it's so hard to measure, you're kind of in a disadvantage to begin with because you're not creating a product, you're not doing sales, you don't have any measurable thing to say that you contribute to, right? So I think it's basically two things. The first is really to make sure people understand that you are in charge of the company's story and the narrative throughout the company. So not only working with the marketing team, which is the easy part, relatively, but working with the HR team and working with the sales team, of course, and working with the product team and trying to figure out how you help them with taking this narrative and bringing it down to whatever it is they're doing. So these kinds of things really, really help with the perception of, of this position. And also, I, I think the second thing is Eventually, you would want to showcase as much as you do as possible. And it, it's relatively easy because unlike, you know, Legion and things like that, you actually have assets that you can share. You know, you're in charge of the website or you're in charge of videos. and you're... So you want people to know, you know, about the process and share it, both for, for your branding purposes, but also just for them to share it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, th I think the more you engage people in the company and, and help them out with your skills, the better. And that's where they, when they understand what you do. Exactly. At least with brand work, you have a tangible thing to show, <laughs> yeah. which is, you know, hey, new pages on the website, videos, stories, all of that great stuff. So Shlomi, we have, I think it's time for our game. Yes. Okay. So this is the game in which we guess what you would be doing if you weren't in cybersecurity marketing. We're both going to go and then you choose who the winner is. The loser gets the cardboard cutout of the winner that they have to put into their Zoom meetings for the next year. So, <laughs> Oh, that's one of the best games I've ever heard of. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> we, we engineered the prize on the last podcast. 
the thing is, Shlomi, we already know who's winning because she's had an awesome winning streak all year. I don't know, Maria. I think Although, you're catching up. I am catching up. But had I known this was going to be what we do at the end of the year, I would have stepped up my game, right? I didn't know that it was going to be like that. But that's okay. I, I always know, have Maria. this again. I never know. Oh, Maria, I thought you were just going to say I would have lost on purpose. Aww. I love you, Gianna, but I am competitive, just like you. <laughs> you know why like you like cut out? <laughs> this is why you and I click so much because we're uh, so much alike. Okay, okay, who's going first? You go first. Slow me. Ay, ay, ay. I don't know. I think I'm going to try to go the easy route and say you'd still be doing branding, but Such for cheater. consumer product. That's cheating. Uh, oh, all right, whatever. That? What's not? It's a whole he, different industry. He did branding for consumer products. You did? Oh, you did? Isn't Gong oh, yeah. a consumer product? Mm, no, I know. I, I, I don't know. think I'm supposed to say anything because it runs the game. But no. exactly. So <laughs> all right, think. fine. Gong is okay. B2B. Gong is B2B. I, I know it, it's a joke. It's early. Okay, so I think Shlomi that you would be a philosopher. Ooh. <laughs> oh my gosh, wow. we're gonna get. Make that face you just made into a gif. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Wow. I mean, should I choose who was more wrong or who was likely more right? Like, how does it go? Give us the torture. No, I'm just Give trying to understand the rules of the game. <laughs> You're supposed to choose the winner. Who The winner is who's more right. All right. So... Sorry, Maria. I really sorry. Like I really routed for you. I have to be honest. After that introduction, but it has to be Gianna. Jeez. <laughs> and I'll tell <laughs> I'll tell you why. I don't think I would be a philosopher, but it makes much more sense for me to be a philosopher. Like I could see myself studying philosophy and spending my time wasting time talking to people about philosophy, versus like doing branding for B two C. I almost like have an allergy for it. I don't know why, but thinking of branding like Coca-Cola or McDonald's, it's just, I don't know. It looks so, I, I know it's supposed to be the same thing, but it's so not me. Like I think, yeah. <laughs> but they have the most fun Twitter accounts and like Twitter stuff. They do have fun on Twitter, no? Or it's Twitter doesn't true. exist I don't know anymore. Where they're going to have fun now, now that Twitter is kind of <laughs> the black box. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are really, really good. Maybe that's the thing, you know? They're like too good. I'm like comfortable in my B2B world, you know? <laughs> Maybe that's the thing. Shlomi, okay, so since we kind of didn't hit on the mark, if you are not in B2B marketing and you could pick any job that you wanted to do in the world, what would you be doing? So probably a musician. It's pretty easy. I mean, oh. I did it also before I was in branding uh, for a while. So uh yeah, for me, it's pretty easy, really. Nothing what do you else. Play? I would just be a musician. What kind of music? Yeah. Old school kind of singer, songwriter, the kinds of uh, musician that went out of uh, fashion in the last 20 years. So <laughs> this, this kind of musician. Yeah, I've been doing it since high school, and that's the, the thing I really oh, love. Wow. Okay, well, we need to, we need to link to yeah. on the show note to a few of your songs if you're willing to share. Yeah, yeah link sure. to your band camp. Definitely. Sure, sure. Does Bandcamp even exist yet? I don't know. Oh, yeah. It went away? Yeah. Bandcamp? No, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can, yeah, sure, Spotify or something. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's better. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show, Shlomi. Where can people contact you if you're open to being contacted to talk more about brands with folks? Good old LinkedIn. Nice. Probably the best place. Yeah, love it. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to us today. As usual, every week we drop a new episode on Wednesday. Be sure to subscribe and like and give us 10 stars so you can get the alert when new episodes come out. And tell your family, friends, neighbors, enemies, (laughs) colleagues about this podcast. And see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.